Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it's my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super excited that you've taken the time to listen to this episode, and I hope that it will encourage you as you continue on this journey that we call the Christian life. This week, I will be reviewing the Season 2, Episode 4 of the series, The Chosen, and that episode is called The Perfect Opportunity, and I am really excited to dig into that with you, but first I want to talk to you about what is going on. The first story I want to cover today is a story out of New York that shows the continued assault of liberal culture on the nuclear family. New York City's chief medical officer is facing widespread backlash for referring to white women as birthing people while calling black and Latina women mothers, tweeting the urgency of this moment is clear. Mortality rates of birthing peoples are too high and babies born to black and Puerto Rican mothers in this city are three times more likely to die in their first year of life than babies born to non-Hispanic white birthing people. Joining us now is New York Post columnist Carol Markowitz. The hospital said, or the department said, it was the, the tweet was an oversight, but how did you take it? Well, I'm sure it was an oversight, but unfortunately what they mean is that all of us are birthing people and none of us are mothers. And what I think is that we've learned in the last two years that how many of our health officials are just terrible at their jobs. I mean, what, where is the science in any of this? And more than that, who does birthing people appeal to other than the absolute fringe left? How many people are having babies and not feeling comfortable with the title of mother that we need to change that word for everyone? Indeed. And there's a tweet that she had before. There's actually an article back in March of 2021, so just a year ago, saying that offering preferential care based on yeah. race or ethnicity may elicit legal challenges from our system of colorblind law. But given the ample current evidence that our health, judicial and other systems already unfairly preference people who are white, we believe that our approach is corrective and therefore mandated. And that was about COVID treatments. So it's not the first time. I feel like I bring stories like this to you every week. But they are so important for us to consider. Consider the fact that we are in a country today that just celebrated Women's History Month, that just saw nominated a woman for the express two reasons that she is an African American and that she is a woman. And yet, we can't define what a woman is. Even when I was in college and I first got the burden for speaking for him, one of the things I thought of was the fact that the agenda for the feminists and particularly for the National Organization for Women is basically women can do everything that a man can do while minimalizing and tri trivializing the things that only women can do. Only women can give birth to children. Only women can nurture them the way they need to be nurtured. God knew what he was doing when he made us male and female. And all of this chaos related to gender and all this terminology having to do with birthing persons, it's all because of one thing. It's because the devil hates human beings because they were made in the image of God. And I think it, at first blush that you look at the story and you say, well, they consider Hispanic and Latino women mothers 
but white women only birthing people. But as the interviewee in that clip pointed out, the greater mistake was probably that they intended to call us all birthing people and that that the the term mother for anyone actually just slipped into the piece. So I think that's something worth our continued consideration because when we are standing for biblical truth, one of the foundational truths that we need to stand for is the structure of the nuclear family. The family is the foundational institute that God created. He didn't create government first. He didn't create church first. Both of those things come from the bedrock creation and institution of the family that God instituted with Adam and Eve and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. The reason for a man to leave his home was to cleave to his wife and to create a new home. And it's these homes and families upon which society is based. And now we are running around in an era of chaos where everything goes. And so basically what we're saying by proxy is that nothing matters. And that leads me to our next story. And it's about the latest woke news from Disney. Yet another big American company going woke, Disney, caving to the liberal mob and pledging to help repeal the new parental rights bill that just signed into law by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, which Democrats in the media have completely lied about and called bigoted. The bill bans instruction of sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. DeSantis firing back at Disney while calling out some of the obvious double standards. For a company like Disney uh, to say that they, this bill should have never passed, first of all, Tucker, they weren't saying anything when this was going through the House. They only started doing this because the mob, the woke mob, came after them. But put that aside, uh, for them to say that them as a California-based company are going to work to take those California values and overturn a law that was duly enacted and, as you said, supported by a strong majority of Floridians, they don't run this state. If we had done a bill that prohibited uh, talking about the abuse of Uyghurs in China, Disney would have supported that legislation. And a new controversy for Disney as we get leaked videos of top executives at the company discussing a plan to go woke at its theme parks. Listen. Last summer, we we removed all of the um, gendered greetings in relationship to our lives feels. Now they know it's it's hello everyone or hello friends. When we brought the fireworks back to the Magic Kingdom, we no longer say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we say dreamers of all ages. (laughs) So we got gender neutral Disney, Greg. Ah, by the way, sorry, but you can't even say ladies and gentlemen anymore or boys and girls. What is happening in the world? Sorry, would you, but... Would you like to go ahead? I, I was going to ask Greg... Just like, it's so nuts. with your, you know, very, very rude My apologies. It's supposed okay, to be classy. Great. I think I just had a... It was, a, it was a British outburst of <laughs> my rage. Goodness, my goodness, Honestly, <laughs> it's so pathetic, isn't it? You can't go to a theme park and you can't hear the words ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I mean, what's going on? Greg, what, I interrupt you. What is going on, Peter? I'll tell you what's going on. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you in my best, my best um, posh accent. Um, 
I, do you mind if I just yeah, go, yeah, expand on what my, why I think it's nuts? Is it, what you've got, and I discussed this with you last night on your show, you've got this small group of very vocal, very woke people, very active online, and they bully companies into following their narrow worldview. And I admire the companies like Netflix in the Dave Chappelle uproar. I admired Spotify when they stood by Joe Rogan. That is the way to deal with the mob, because the mob very quickly gets bored and moves on. And guess what? Dave Chappelle's still on Netflix. Joe Rogan is still on Spotify. That's the right way to respond. Disney began this with their new CEO saying, we're not going to be political. Great. Great. Because, by the way, if you are going to be political, as DeSantis rightly pointed out, then let's hear what you've got to say about the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims in China, right. which we'll never hear from Disney because they make too much money from the Chinese box office market. So if you're going to be political... Be consistent, morally and in terms of your uh, apparent outrage. But, of course, they don't want to do that. They want to be bullied by this woke mob into doing something they didn't instinctively want to do. And now they're being sucked in, aren't they, into this woke trap. And, and looks, if you apologise, by the way, it never stops. It the moment you apologise, they keep coming. And it looks like this woke mob judge probably came from Disney itself. You had a lot of really loud employees probably in their 30s and 20s, <laughs> just screaming at executives, ah, don't say gay, don't say gay, and, and then they, they reacted and overreacted. Okay, two things. The bill doesn't say don't say gay. Right. That's number one. The second point is, since when do California values, since when should they be instilled in Florida? And the third point is, good for DeSantis for saying, you know what, stay in your own lane. I'm the governor of this mm -hmm. state, and don't tell me what to do. Okay, first of all, let me just say this heading into this discussion, that I believe Disney's been woke for years. Uh, they've always had a liberal bent. In the 1990s, they started talking about having uh, gay appreciation days well before it was cool. This isn't something new. It isn't something amazingly shocking that Disney finally went woke. They've been progressing toward this for a long time. But I really liked what Piers Morgan said because he's just talking about the lunacy of not being able to talk about ladies and gentlemen. I, I never thought that I would come to a day when ladies and gentlemen would be offensive terms. Those are terms of politeness and terms of high decorum and manners. Those are not terms of controversy. And yet in this day and age in which we live, they are controversial. The other thing I would say is that I would totally agree with peers that when you apologize to the woke mob, they move on to the next thing that they're offended about. Apologies do not work. Because they will never be satisfied. There will always be something wrong. There will always be something to be offended at. And so it's actually more effective often to stand your ground. But again, I think that many people who are shocked at what's going on right now with Disney, there's no place to be shocked because they've been headed here for a while. And so again, just something else for us to keep our eyes on and to continue to pray for our culture because there's a lot of people that are influenced by Disney. And I, 
you know, I have to admit, there's a lot of Disney that I enjoy. Until their recent offerings, Pixar was my favorite movie brand. It's kind of interesting because they were their own entity and they worked in cooperation with Disney and then Disney purchased them. And I just really felt like most of their filmmakers for their first several films had a real moral compass uh, going into the filmmaking process. Uh, But I have not watched the last, I think, two or three offerings from Pixar because of some very negative reviews that I've heard from pro-family groups. And, you know, you can have a debate about that. Sometimes people would say, well, watch it and have a critical discussion. And I think there can be a place for that. And Disney obviously created a lot of interesting and very enjoyable products. I used to really enjoy watching Wonderful World of Disney every night in reruns after Little House on the Prairie when I was growing up. It was like Little House on the Prairie at 6 and Wonderful World of Disney at 7. That's how I liked to spend my evenings, and I really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed watching uh, products like the Herbie movies or like the Apple Dumpling Gang or the Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again uh, and Pollyanna, just to name a few. So there have been some really enjoyable uh, things that Disney has created, uh, you know, they had Davy Crockett on their Wonderful World of Disney. I think they had Daniel Boone at one point. So they, and the Swamp Fox, I could go on and on. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't proceed with caution when dealing with Disney products. And I am so grateful that there are companies like Pureflix and directors like the Irwin Brothers and the Kendrick brothers who are trying to put out quality entertainment and meet families where they are. Because that's one thing that we have to really consider is that the devil is an angel of light and he is very subtle at the way that he gets people's attention and sways them away from the things of the Lord. That's why it's been so important for me to cover uh, entertainment for you on this podcast when I first began to do that, many people may have wondered why, and that is why, because we do utilize entertainment in our culture, and particularly TV and movies, and so the opportunity to talk to you about good things that we can use on those mediums is a very important one for me. So, anyway, I just wanted to share that with you and to ask that you would continue to stand for truth, continue to shine a light in the darkness, and just know that Jesus told us before he went to heaven that the world would hate us because it hated him first. And so nothing that is happening culturally right now should be a surprise or should cause undue alarm to us. All right, well, we have arrived at our main segment for today, and so I just want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day 
comes from this episode. It is a conversation between Jesse, who is how they have personified the man at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus. And here is what it says. It says, you don't need the pool. You only need me. Now, this episode centers around the character of Jesse, who is the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. The story has always resonated with me uh, because of my limitations and the way that God has worked in my life. And this quote stuck out to me from this episode. Jesus said, you don't need the pool. You only need me. And I thought it was very interesting. Um, I watched a deep dive on this episode from the director, Dallas Jenkins, and he talked about how there is uh, intelligent supposition among scholars that in the case of this pool, that the verse about an angel stirring up the waters was actually an additive to later manuscripts and that actually the origins of the healing properties of this pool are actually pagan. And so that is the perspective from which Dallas wrote this episode. And so basically what Jesus is saying as he's talking to this crippled man and says, do you want to be healed? He's saying, I have the power to heal you. So the question is, do you really want to be healed? Because what you're clinging to right now is not sufficient to do the job. And I just really resonated with that because we so often look to any other person or any other activity or any other passion to get us to the next level, whether it be self-actualization, whatever it may be, the, the natural goodness of man, all these things mythological things that incidentally we did, we covered you know several weeks ago when I did my myths of modern christianity series we looked to all these things and Jesus is just saying to us in a very real way I want you to just look to me I'm going to discuss more about this episode but before I do that I want to share a clip from that deep dive that Dallas Jenkins did that I told you about And the reason that this particular clip resonated with me is because he addresses something that I face a lot as a disabled believer in Jesus. There are many well-meaning people that say to me, if you believed with enough faith, then you could be healed. And I I love the perspective that Dallas gives about this all-important topic. Now, of course, not everyone can just choose to be healed, of course. Obviously, I know that. Jesus didn't heal everybody that he encountered on earth, as far as we know, and God doesn't heal everybody today. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're automatically going to be healed just in case you want to. I know there are some of you who believe that, who believe all you need is enough faith and you will be healed and God doesn't want you to ever experience pain. I don't believe that on any conceivable level. However, I do believe that we sometimes can change our perspective. I also believe that God does heal sometimes, so let me make that clear. But sometimes there are people who aren't going to be healed and God wants their perspective 
expected to be different, to not look at their malady as their identity, to find their identity in Christ, but to look at their malady perhaps in a different perspective, and that the solution that they're seeking isn't the right solution, and that maybe this is actually a spiritual issue, not a physical one, and that sometimes the physical can point us to the spiritual. So when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I think there's some intention there. It's a, do you really want this? You've been stuck here for 38 years. And you have been clinging to this belief and to this false hope. And as Jesus says, you know this isn't going to heal you. So why are you here? Now, that's not directly from Scripture, but the do you want to be healed is. And so I just believe that he was asking that. Is like, I've got a plan for you, but do you really want it? How does the man respond in Scripture and in our episode? Immediately he starts giving excuses for why he hasn't been healed. And Jesus gets him back. Look at me. Look at me. You and me. I'm asking you a question. I'm not asking about the excuses. I'm not asking about the reasons. I want to know, do you want to be healed? And as soon as the man acknowledges that he does, Jesus heals him. Of course, God doesn't heal everybody. There's a whole theology behind that that you, know, you can talk to your pastor about. But in this case, I just thought it was really fascinating to explore what Jesus meant in the scripture. So as soon as Jesse says he does want to be healed, he is healed. I just really like that assessment a lot because it really is my story in miniature. Allow me to explain. I want to tell you one particular time that I was challenged that I can't, that I could and should be healed. This happened in 2009 when I was working at Guiding Light Mission. There were two gentlemen that came in uh, because one of them had an interview. I forget if it was a job opening or if he was just uh, a resource to the interim director or what it was, but he had an interview with my boss. So he goes into his meeting and his friend sits by the reception desk where I was working. And we proceed to talk for a good half hour, maybe 40 minutes. And being the kind of guy that I am, I immediately felt a connection to him. I wanted to be friendly, so I gave him my phone number. I said, you can give me a call and we can continue this discussion. I really enjoyed talking with you. He calls me the next day and says that he was praying uh, and talking with God and that God showed him how I needed to get right with him so that I could be walking. And he didn't just say it once. He proceeded over probably 15 to 20 minutes telling me how I can get right with God. You know, I just need to need to want it. I need to believe in faith that it can happen and then it will. And I remember, I probably shouldn't have let it go on that long, but I wasn't as strong as I am today. And so I was kind of dumbfounded at first. But then I got my footing and I said, Sir, I said, I don't know what to say to you. The only thing I know for sure is that I spent nine years of my life coming to terms with the way God made me. And I don't believe that he made a mistake. And so if you can't accept that, I need to hang up on you now. And basically I hung up and I never heard from him again. So it's really kind of a sad ending to that story. But actually that was the third time at least where someone had either implied or prayed for my healing. Now, let me be very clear. Just like Dallas said on this clip, I believe that God has the power to heal. I believe that God could heal me. But I have come to believe that my faith is stronger 
because of my limitations than it would be without them and that God has a plan for which he continues to use my limitations to draw myself and others to himself. That may seem like a very difficult thing to comprehend, but keep in mind that was very difficult for me to comprehend as well. So I I just wanted to share that from my heart and to let you know that I appreciate all the prayers that anyone gives me, but I am confident that God has chosen this wheelchair as my thorn in the flesh. And he has said, I'm not going to heal you this side of heaven, but I can tell you that my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So basically the premise of this episode is starts out at a very interesting place because we realize that Jesse, this lame man, when he was a kid, he climbs a tree He falls out of it, becomes paralyzed, and his younger brother, who happens to be, for the purposes of this story, Simon the Zealot, begins to take care of him and tries to help him through childhood. Through a variety of things, and seeing the struggles that his brother has gone through, Simon gets hardened, and he feels a call to fight against Rome and to become a zealot. And he basically writes a letter to Jesse and says, I'm leaving, um, and here's my final words. And one of the things that you find out is that he says that he will know the Messiah is there when he sees Jesse walking on his own two feet again. So he's looking for the healing of his brother as a sign that the Messiah has been found. Now, of course, this is pure conjecture, Dallas admits it, but it adds an interesting layer to the story to think about that Simon the Zealot was driven to uh, zealotry uh, by a misguided zeal, which then is curtailed and changed when his brother is healed and he decides to follow Jesus the Messiah as a result. This was a very interesting episode in the sense that they did a a flashback and flash forward kind of moving up and down the timeline for the first nine minutes of the episode. And there actually was no dialogue for nine whole minutes, which makes it a little challenging to watch because when you're watching a TV show, you are really looking for dialogue or at least a monologue of sorts, at least a narration, you know, even, even watching a documentary can be, a challenge if there's no narration. A while back I went and saw a documentary on space and it was all archival footage. There was no narration stitching it together and it was interesting, but it was also a challenge to watch because of those choices that the documentary maker made not to stitch it together with narration. So there's a challenge in that first nine minutes to kind of, comprehend what's going on and to to pick up on it as you go. But I really like the way that Dallas pieces things together because he tries to stick with the plausible. Not necessarily what happened, but but he at least says, could this be plausible? And it makes for a good story and it does not compromise the scripture. So then you, you see that Jesus 
as he does everything with intentionality, says, I'm going to meet somebody inside the city today. And he goes and he meets with Jesse. And that's where they have their conversation that we referred to uh, from the quote of the day where he says, do you want to be healed? You don't need this pool. You just need me. And what a sobering reminder that is to each of us that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is enough. So often we think, well, I need this, this, and this. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the Father knows that you have need of everything that you need, and he will provide it, essentially. That's kind of a paraphrase, but it's very true. Different parts of this of this episode that you see is you see Matthew and Mary Magdalene learning more about the Feast of Tabernacles and the fact that it's that it's a time to give thanks to God and and some might wonder why Matthew wouldn't know about the Feast of Tabernacles but again one of the things that Dallas points out in the making of this episode was that he basically gave up um, pursuing his place as a Jew when he chose to be a tax collector and basically uh, be working for Rome against his own people. And then Mary Magdalene talks about how she was never able to uh, go to Jerusalem through her childhood and girlhood and then all the things that she went through, and so she was enjoying um, this uh, Feast of Tabernacles and learning to show gratitude to God for what he had done. And then you see there is someone who is spying on the zealots and and trying to get a a handle on, on what they're going to do, and you see them planning out an attack against the Roman soldiers, and you see Simon really contemplating whether he should go through with with what he's going to do in Jerusalem because he knows that the end could be a cross. Um, they show some crucifixions um, that he is observing, and there's also a point where you see a foreshadowing of Calvary because you see Jesus see the cross and and look at it and, and contemplate it. So I just think it was a very well put together episode. I think one of the things that I felt was missing was that in most cases, a healing is not, or an infirmity that needs to be healed is not tied to a sin. But there's a particular emphasis of that in this passage. If you look at John chapter 5, you find that Jesus finds the lame man after he has been healed. Uh, He comes and finds him and says, uh, Go and sin no more, lest a worst thing befall you. So there's an implication that his particular injury... Uh, came from sinful actions on his part. That doesn't mean that every infirmity or disability is related to sin, but I found it interesting that, that they didn't emphasize that 
in this episode. I would have liked to see a little bit more of that uh, because I think it's an important part of the story for that individual. But you see the Pharisees' response to this man at the pool when he gets up and takes up his bed. And Dallas points out that it was basically a direct challenge to the Pharisees in their way of life because they said that taking up your bed on the Sabbath, carrying anything on the Sabbath was going against God's law and, and the things that God expected out of the Sabbath. But they often got wrong. The fact that the Sabbath um, was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. I think that's an important reminder for all of us. I I often say that the Pharisees cared more about the bed that the man laid in than they did about the man that laid in the bed. And it's pretty evident from the passage that people knew that this guy had been there for years. And that's one thing that you see. You see him trying to get to the pool and uh, failing. And then Jesus comes along, of course, and gives him the answer that he needs. And I just think about that in context of us. How often do we try to do things our own way? And Jesus is right there saying, hey, I've got this. I can take care of you. I can do this for you. And I just really appreciated that because I've really appreciated the story. And I loved the reconciliation that you saw between the two brothers uh, once the healing occurred. Um, It's kind of ambiguous as to why Simon first goes to Jesse and sees him while he's still paralyzed. Um, Apparently he hadn't seen him for years, but he wanted to look him up when he came into uh, Jerusalem and saw the pool of Bethesda. And so... I I really thought that was interesting, just seeing the reconciliation uh, that God brought about for them. Another thing I wanted to point out is that physical healing in the New Testament pointed to spiritual truths. See, it was significant that this man was healed and, and made so he wasn't lame anymore. But the greater significance was that he had an encounter with Jesus and he was changed from the inside out. Remember when I said that Jesus approached him later and said, uh, go and sin no more, he was challenging him to live a righteous life. That was far more important than his physical healing. And I, I really feel like my limitations point to the grace and mercy of God every single day. Because it's really the only way that I can get through everything that I go through is by trusting in Him and in His sovereignty and in His grace. So, we we just see... We see the sovereignty of God, too, because the Jesus was not nervous, uh, he was not uh, 
taken aback by anything that occurred. Um, you know, his disciples were always skittish and looking out for his protection and, and they were always worried, but Jesus always had things under control. And I really do appreciate that. And I really do resonate with that, that even when, when things seem out of control, God still has them in his control. And so we just see how God, um, works to bring his plan about every interaction that Jesus had in the new Testament was one of intentionality. He didn't do anything half hearted. He didn't do anything by mistake. Uh, you know, he, he made sure that he was at the pool and this man was the one that he was there to see. And he spoke directly to him and he gave him hope, and he gave him the answers that he needed. And I have to say to you today, maybe you're listening and you need answers. Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter what fundamental question you can think of. Jesus can provide the answer and the hope for you. And so I hope that you will take that to heart I hope that you will realize that that is something that he not only can do but he will do if you ask the Bible says seek and you will find it's important for us to realize that God always speaks in the definitive article and so we can trust him with the outcome and the results you know, that man could have kept clinging to the pool and the stories surrounding the pool. But when he looked to Jesus, that's when he uh, received healing. So I hope that encourages you today. Uh, as the hymn writer says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, that's about all I have time for this week, but I hope that you've enjoyed this discussion of The Chosen Season 2, Episode 4. I hope that you will share this episode with your family and friends, and then you will take the opportunity to watch The Chosen. One of the unique things about The Chosen is that it is available on an app that is free to download in your app store of choice so please make sure that you download it and watch these episodes i believe they are powerful and i believe that they can draw draw you closer to the lord and ignite in you a renewed desire for the scriptures which is dallas's goal with all that being said i hope you have a wonderful week and keep serving the best of masters Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. 
You can also interact with us at Facebook.com slash Speaking For Him and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 